Hi, my name is John Light, and I've spent over 20 years working throughout all corners of the recruiting world. Our podcast, Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool, is a resource to help you stay afloat and get ahead of your competition. Hi, and welcome to the Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool podcast. I'm your host, John Light, with uh, President of uh, Sabretooth Recruiting. And with me today, I have Kelly Haydu. Kelly is joining us from Car Gurus. Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. Yeah, Car Gurus, VP of Information Security and Technology. I appreciate you having me on today. Oh, happy to. Very happy to, as a matter of fact. So, I'd love to get started learning a little bit more about you because I know from prior conversation that you have a pretty different background from what people would expect for somebody who's sitting, you know, in vice president of information systems and technology and security. I think your background maybe wasn't made for that to start with in some respects, but in some respects, kind of a, in an interesting twist, it's spot on for where you are today. Can you share a little bit about, about your journey and, and getting to where you are? Sure, I would love to. I've gotten questions on this for years. So I originally went to school for human science and services. Mm-hmm. My senior year, I did an internship at a community action center. And when I did the internship, I started to build out a program for single teenage mothers and teaching them computer skills. Okay. And and as I started to do that, I, I felt like this, this rewarding feeling of being able to kind of give back, but also being able to use some of my technology skills. So my dad was a, a land administrator for a really long time. He, I grew up on a computer, mm. and so I had a lot of experience with it leading up to that point. And so I really enjoyed it. And then when I graduated, I wanted to do something more with technology but also helping people. And so I landed a job at a medical company where I would travel around the country mm-hmm. and help with implementation of, of software and, and, and teach people in hospitals how to use it. And that's kind of how I got into it. Fast forward to where I am now, I think that that degree has been super important for me from a managerial perspective and also from a cyber perspective, because you kind of have to think about the psychology of how an attacker may try to get into your network or how people operate on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Management, management of people, like everybody's a human, right? And so at the end of the day, um, we all show up and we want to do the best job that we can, but we also all have our own personal lives going on as well. Right. And so being able to connect with people in that way and listen to them and and apply some of those skills that I learned in my undergrad has been very valuable to me. I'll bet it was also interesting, you know, the old uh, the old saw, the old proverb in recruiting circles is that, you know, hey, I just picked up this red hot uh, assignment from this red hot client and they want somebody with, you know, ABC programming language or whatever it is, or ABC system, you know, but make up whatever name you want for it. And they want at least seven years of experience. And I found the best candidate I could and I sent them but this this part, this candidate only had three and a half, four years experience and they rejected him. And it turns out, well, he was one of the original people who developed the program. It had only been around about three and a half years. I wonder because I noticed this early in my career when I was in the energy industry, really up and down the whole part of that segment, you know, whether you were upstream, downstream, 
whether you were, you know, solar or wind or, or nat gas uh, fired turbines or whatever it might be, companies tended to want people who had been in their speciality in their sector. They wanted people who had, you know, understood their particular issues and, and things of that nature. So I can't but imagine that you had to go through some hoops, maybe some trials, if you will, to, to prove your chops, maybe not from the people side so much as the, the tech side, the technical side. I know when I started, oh, mercy, I'm going to date myself here. You know, we had many main. That's okay. We're right around the same we, age. We had the many mainframes, AS400, and we did batch processing, you know, sitting in our shop. And and I remember you'd sit there and, and uh, I guess this may be why they had so many people on salary and not by the hour. We'd sit there and have paperclip wars, you know, take rubber bands and paperclips across the office, waiting for the batch processing to actually process and, and give us what we we're looking for. And so I'm, I'm curious along the way, I mean, you, you're at a sizable company. You all have a lot of things going on. There's a lot of moving and shaking. You're in a situation where you have security challenges everywhere you look, uh, and you have demands from an IT side and the tech side that are just overlapping and conflating and turbulent and changing from day to day. So how did you put yourself in a position to show off your technical expertise to people who looked at your resume perhaps and said, well, she's not a tech person. She's a people person, which I think people are the highest form of technology we have on this planet in a, way, in a manner of speaking. So we got to know how to interface and use them, uh, how to get the most from them, from ourselves and, and so on. But but how did you navigate that, Kelly? Because, I mean, that had to be a challenge. There had to be times where you got frustrated with being put to the test, so to speak, from a technical perspective. Yeah, early on in my career, I think it was pretty difficult. Even with my transition from quality assurance to security, mm-hmm. got questioned a lot. Like, oh, well, you haven't been in security before. How how do how do those two map together? Right. I'll start by saying, like, my belief is that if you have the attitude and the aptitude, mm-hmm. really the perseverance and determination, to accomplish something that you you can right there were a lot of late nights where i stayed in the office in my 20s and just sat there with a coding book Mm -hmm. at my desk after work teaching myself putting in the extra extra effort right to to be able to elevate and i think at the end of the day a lot of people saw opportunity in me and gave me a chance it's why in my position that I am today that I like to try to give back as much as possible because there were people that took a chance on me along the way. They saw something in me. They understood, you know, in talking to me, getting past the paper, right, on the resume, that I had some skills. A lot of reading, a lot of studying, a lot of learning. Same applied when I moved over to security, right? I had always had to test for security when I was in in quality assurance. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was a natural transition there. Uh, risk and compliance is a huge part of of quality assurance. I had to make sure that the business understood what the risk would be and what our risk threshold was if we were to release a product that potentially had, you know, had a bug in it, a critical issue or a high issue. There was some natural transition there, learned along the way. And, you know, eventually just started taking a lot of online you know, classes and certifications and studying and and meeting with peers in the industry to, to really learn more. And then finally in 
March of 2019, I started my master's program mm-hmm. at Norwich University in information security and assurance. And uh, international privacy perspectives and law was was a concentration of mine there. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, there's two reasons why I decided to, to do that program. The first was, well, three. The first was my dad's an alum there. <laughs> <laughs> They have an amazing cyber program. I don't want to hear the noise anymore. I graduated with a 4.0 top of my class, you know, so that kind of like stopped the noise, even though I'm at a point in my career where we're like, it doesn't really matter as it much. Shouldn't. Yeah, it shouldn't. And then really, the, I think the third, the third reason is I have kids. So <laughs> I wanted to walk the walk and I wanted to say, hey, mom's doing her homework. You have to do yours right alongside with me. So I learned a lot at that university. Another part of the reason is I've been in the private sector my entire career. So I wanted to have exposure to the public sector, military, understand how they think, understand how they're approaching um, security challenges today. So I don't know that I took enough notes with me coming in here to start talking about, uh, what is it, zero trust architecture and some of this other stuff that's flying around in the security world. But I know when I was prepping, one of the thoughts on my mind is I know that you, where you sit today, you have a great sense of accomplishment, uh, you know, around having a diverse team in a large team. You know, you're not, you're not sitting there dealing with a team of three people saying, Hey, look, I'm a, leading a, a big team. You're, you're leading a lot of people. And I kind of sit back and think about something you hit a moment ago, you know, about you enjoy giving back. And there's a lot of different ways we can do that. Uh, there's an actor, actress from years gone by. I remember reading a, a quote that when you take the elevator to the top, make sure you send it back down and bring other people up and, and that sort of thing. I'm curious when you get, and of course this is the this is the headhunter in me. Sorry, it's got to come out at some point, right? But when you look at resumes, it's always been one of those weird sticking points. You know, in AI, uh, machine learning, most every company uses it in some shape, matter, or form when it comes to sorting through resumes, especially for positions where you're going to have a lot of hiring and a lot of paper flying around. I mean, most of the positions I work on, I won't send more than three to five candidates because we, we vet very thoroughly. We're not interested in flooding paper uh, onto a client. Otherwise, why, why get paid, among other things? But when you look at a resume, we know that AI today can't look at a resume, say like yours in your 20s and go, okay, this person is a high potential individual who's on a CIO track or something of that nature, you know, because they're not going to put those things together because that kind of traditional background, I've got a computer science undergrad and I've got a, an MBA on top of it, you know, before I'm 26 and this and this and that. And I'm kind of the same way. Nobody probably expected me to be in the business I'm in doing what I'm doing back then. I was an accountant. I might as well have had green eye shades. You know, and sleeve garters. Never had sleeve garters, but it sounds like if I had suspenders, sleeve garters, green eye shades, and a ten key, I'd be in business. But I don't. You know, it's <laughs> not my not my thing. But I'm curious, as part of giving back, and and maybe this is a more subtle way of doing it. Do you take extra time to look at resumes that have experiences you may want, but maybe they don't have some of the other traditional components of it, like formal training or formal education in it? Yeah, I mean, I think I really try to remain unbiased uh, when reviewing resumes. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes the opposite way as well, 
right? I'm not going to specifically pick somebody because they don't have an education or they have a different background. Mm-hmm. I kind of look for if they have good customer service, um, some of the technical components, like a wide variety of skills. Right. Depend uh, Again, depending on the role that we're hiring for, too. There's some that I'm, you know, we need to, there's minimum requirements mm-hmm. that we have to fill. And there are right? others that are going to be like um, super specific, I'm sure. Exactly. But I know how it feels to have a resume um, be looked at and think that you're something that you're not. Yeah. Right. My last name is Heydu. I can't tell you the amount of times where I've gotten on the phone call with people over the years and they're like, oh, <laughs> you're you have blonde hair and blue eyes. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> And I'm Hungarian, right? So, um, but it, it's just, it, and people don't mean it in, in the wrong way, but like I specifically will just, I try to look for those buzzwords mm-hmm. and those key skills, like the human aspect of it. Yeah. Like I said, customer success, customer focused, collaboration, mm-hmm. team building, because at the end of the day, you want to be able to work in a group. Right? Yeah. As oh, you team. have to be able to. You have to. We can't just sit and and I say this to my son all the time, right? I'm like, the best job that you're going to have right now is the job that you have working at Dunkin' Donuts. It's going to teach you so many life skills. It's going to teach you how to work together with others. You know, we can't just sit at our desk and be in a silo and make a decision alone. Yeah. Right? That's not how you run a company. So I, those are some of the key things that I look for in a resume. When I interview candidates, I want to make sure that they are not only bringing the necessary skills to the technical skills to the table, but they're bringing a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean by diversity. They're bringing a different perspective to the table that maybe the rest of the team doesn't have. And a lot of times, like different backgrounds bring those different perspectives and just so happens that, you you know, you end up having a diverse team as, as a result of that. But that's been a huge focus of mine. I think a lot of people have not received an opportunity, whether it be because they didn't go to college or because they, you know, a certain descent or, or what have right, you, right? right? And or you're a female and you're not a male, what, the list goes on and on, right? Um, so I kind of really just look at it at face value. But then when I talk to the candidate, make sure that they have that they have a different perspective, that they can actually challenge my perspective mm-hmm. and we can come to like mutual mutual agreements. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, too, you know, if you want diversity, you really got to start that at the beginning of a process, not the end. Right. Determining diversity yep. via the interview process, I think is something that's fraught with bias. But determining ahead of time that we think our candidate pool should be such and such, and then we kind of let that drive where the chips fall. You know, the chips fall where they may, as old saying goes, but that that kind of drives it. I think that it gives you a chance in an interview process to put some level of rein or control or restraint around individual biases. You know, because I do agree, uh, you know, there's there's diversity that maybe how the government looks at it and there's diversity at how individuals and, and companies look at it. And there's diversity, too, in terms of experiences, not just things that we inherited or just, you know, but things that we went through at the prior job or in the prior project or the prior whatever. 
And, you know, I think that's one of the real, the crazy things that we have to figure out about AI. I was just reading an article on this today, as a matter of fact, this morning, they were talking about bias that's hidden in AI and all this generative AI. And apparently some of the big source data used to train up the open AI stuff, the chat GPT, uh, they pulled right off of Reddit. Now, I don't particularly care. It's irrelevant to me politically if a person's to the right or to the left. But it's interesting to me from looking at what we're feeding an AI model, so to speak, uh, as it's as it's uh, the data it's going to digest and base, you know, it's, it's answers that it's going to predict and synthesize and whatnot. And you have a two to one ratio of one political party compared to the other political party right there. So you're going to have this two to one bias in the language they're using and the thoughts they have and the opinions they have in one direction. So there's an example of bias that's getting built into the system, not necessarily because a programmer determined to make it so, but because of the data sets that's been fed. And people are no different. You know, we've been fed these data sets that, well, if I'm going to have somebody who's going to be a CFO, they need to have worked at a big four, be a CPA, have an MBA on top of it, and then get out and work in private equity. You know, run a couple of portfolio companies and then work, you know, their way up the food chain and SEC reporting for a publicly traded company before I'll look at them, you know, maybe an in investment banking for three years before they can come be a CFO at my company. And anyone outside of that, man, they're really going to have to prove it. And so there's this bias because, hey, in my experience, I've seen X uh, or I've been told X and I've learned vicariously. And I think to overcome that, I, I think you're dead right. You've got to you can't go and do it for the sake of it, but you have to seek it out for the sake of it, if that makes sense. And feel free to, you know, to reach down the screen in the virtual reality, do a virtual hand slap to the head if necessary. But that's kind of my take on it. It's always one of those things where if you want something to end, you need to begin with the end in mind and how you approach it. I agree. And we have guidelines here. Actually, they're not guidelines. They're, they're requirements, mm -hmm. right, about making sure that that we open up our pool, right, of candidates, that we meet with diverse candidates. We have to make sure that that's, that's avail the opportunity is available to everybody, yeah. right? No matter, no matter the background. What resonated with me when you just said that about not having been a CEO before and trying to, you know, have, have in order to be a CEO, you had to work at one of the big fours and you had to do this and you had to do this and you had to do right. this. Earlier in the year, I uh, listened to somebody that is a, a CEO at an organization do a talk who came out of the armed forces and is is a pretty big deal now. And, and I won't share his name because I don't know if you would want me to share his name. Probably wouldn't it's mind. All up, but, it's up to you. Um, he, he just was going, he was talking about how, you know, he was promoted mm -hmm. and his success. And when he got to this level of CEO, that he's I he's I never did I never did that I never did you know all of this financial planning or I never I I didn't know what should have been in a 10k or right. um, yeah and so or an 8k or whatever and he said but I went and sought that information from my trusted advisors that sat around me and I learned along the way mm -hmm. and. I think what you're what you said and what resonates with me is that that's just like my story, right? You learn things along the way. You surround yourself with smart people. You figure it out, and it get, goes back to the having the added the 
attitude and the aptitude to do it. Right. So I think like that's for from a talent perspective, like that's what I look for. Right. You don't have to have 50 certifications. Right. Thank goodness, because that makes resumes really, really boring and long. (laughs) Just for what it's worth. Look, I'm not trying to discredit certifications or education or anything like that, because I believe in continuous learning. But you can go and you can take a test and you can pass that test. It doesn't mean that you can necessarily apply that information. Right. Yep. To, the, to what you're doing in exactly. the real world. And it doesn't mean that you you um, can collaborate with others to apply what you learned as part of your job. Either. Right. Well, I mean, studies have shown time and time again, and there's one I always have in mind, and I probably mention it too often. But one of the findings in it is over a three year period, the reason most given for someone failing in the role, either to meet expectations or they. Uh, they voluntarily selected leave or whatever it might be. 82% of the time, I think it was, it boiled down to soft skills. It wasn't about whether or not they could learn a programming language or how to architect a, a system or how to manage AWS or, or, or whatever it might be. What it really came down to is, can they do what you were just talking about? Can they hold a conversation and transfer knowledge and information? Can they... Can they take criticism, you, you know, and not and not. Oh, so she must really hate me because she doesn't like my work product. Well, maybe your work product was subpar and this is a learning opportunity for you to bring it online. And you just need to take it for what it's worth rather than for what you think someone was trying to say. You know, I think those are some very challenging things. And I think and it, and you and I may have touched on this in a prior conversation, but. I think there's a, there are generations of people coming up into the workforce who've grown up with smartphones now, and that's their their social world. And mm-hmm. look, there are there are social cues in that context, but there are social cues sitting around a meeting table in the office, collaborating on a project, or as I told I, one of my uh, one of my kids has been struggling as a preteen. Uh, he turns 12 later this year, and he's been struggling with this idea of sense of humor and timing, comedic timing right over his head, the poor guy. And he tries so hard. He wants to be funny. He's extroverted, and uh, and he's and he's such an empathetic young person. And he's just and he's he's bright, and he thinks, well, if it sounded funny in my head, I'm going to blurt it out. It's got to sound funny to someone else, right? So he said something uh, a few weeks ago that he did not intend for it to be funny. It was an observation and some thought he'd put into this observation. And it was this pithy little comment that when he said it, how he said it, just made everybody laugh. Well, what's the first thing he tries to do? They like that one. Let me drop another bomb in there and get everyone to laugh some more and I'll just keep going and going. And I looked at him and I said, hold my hand up, said stop. Don't say anything else. You have... You have peaked. You have hit. You've climbed the mountain for today. Don't go any further. There's nothing but you can only go down from now. You know, wait, give it a day or three. Right. And the point being to him is here's a social cue. That was great. Timing doesn't call for you to keep now to go try harder to do something funny or say something funny to be the, the clown. And I just wonder sometimes if we have a lot of people coming in the workforce. We're very bright, can be very articulate. They have a lot to share. 
but they're going to run into these roadblocks and these obstacles because they they can't interface like you and I are interfacing. You know, I, I just I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that, because you deal with a pretty diverse set of people not uh, that are in your team, not just, you know, from this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle or this gender or ethnicity or whatever it might be or education background, but also in terms of generation. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Also, being a mom, too. No one watches their kids closer than a mom, especially when it hit the teenage years. And you're just like, I need to. Oh, I'm right there. Yeah. <laughs> I know that 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 flavors a lot of what you have going on. So I can relate to you about the sense of humor and trying to have the joke land and when it's appropriate to tell the joke and when it's not appropriate <laughs> to tell the joke. We're living in that world right now. In, my yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of workplace, I feel I wake up every day, John, I feel extremely fortunate for the team that I have. We all collaborate very well together. The leadership team is phenomenal. Now, that ge- the generation of the leadership team is, I mean, they're just outstanding. They're outstanding. Yeah. Even we have, we have some people on the team, to your point earlier, that may not have had post-secondary education. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that their, their work ethic is, is not there, because it is. Well, right? it has to be to be able to move up the food chain, you know? A lot of people yeah, miss so that. It's, I, you got to work. Yeah, exactly. I think, though, as part of the screening process and back to your question earlier about like diversity and interview process, we as as hiring managers take the time to really understand the person Mm -hmm. and understand, you know, if they're going to be the correct fit for the organization. We are an extremely fast paced organization. We, you know, don't want to compromise on on our quality and standards. What that generates as part of a, you know, a team is this strong sense of ownership. I don't know if you've ever read the, the book, um, Extreme Ownership. It's an amazing book. It's um, right there behind the, the camera on my bookshelf. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but we have, we have that sense of ownership mm-hmm. uh, amongst the team. And I think when you have that, it's just it's awesome because team members don't want to feel like they're letting another right. team member down. Right. As a result. Why do, you, why do you take this on? Why did you do work that's not yours? Well, because it needs to be done. It's part of being here and being a part of this. And what I've found, and it's just my opinion, I've noticed this over the years, though, really high quality candidates. One thing they tend to share in common is they all want to be part of a bigger story. They all want to leave a footprint they all want to be a part of something when they look at it later in life. They're proud of what they accomplished. They're proud of the team they worked with. And a lot of times they don't do these things just because they're driven to uh, do every little thing that crosses their desk or they see that needs to be done, but because they genuinely want to be part of a story in a team where there is support one for another. You know, I've spent the largest part of my career in roles where you eat what you kill. There's no guaranteed paycheck. And let me tell you, it can cause some friction when you think about some days, times you might go 60 days without anything significant coming in. So you better have squirreled stuff away and planned for it and been prepared for it. But when you look from side to side of the people around you, you know, one of my biggest fears 
was being on a team that would take advantage of me not being there. So I couldn't afford to take much time off because I was con- you'd constantly run with this idea that somebody's going to snatch up this deal I was working on and take credit for it. Fortunately, that's been a, a rarity that I've encountered personally, but I've seen it happen. I've heard of it happening a lot. And there's a lot to be said when you can look to your left or your right. And that person, regardless of anything else, is there to help keep you from falling and vice versa to help lift you up instead of knocking you down. And those are, those are hard. That's a hard environment to find. I've been fortunate to be in, you know, several companies where there's been a crisis or there's been a problem Mm -hmm. or there's been a lot of work that has to be done in order to get a release out the door or what have you, or there's a customer issue. Ben in the trenches, Mm -hmm. like all of us in the trenches together, working, you know, the extended hours, making sure that we were doing it right. There's, do I look fondly on those times? Like, no, they've made me a better human as a result. <laughs> you know, the pillow under the desk is never a, never a great story I like to tell, but the relationships and the bonds that you form with people when you go through something like that. Right, they're deeper. You just carry them through, through your career, right? There are people that, you know, I worked with in my mid-20s that we went through, you know, things together. I, I still talk to them today. They're friends, mm-hmm. right? We've, car- we've carried those relationships through because we were able to get through tough times together and we were able to support one another. And I have a, a perfect example of something that just happened here yesterday. Like we're doing full hoteling here um, at our office, right? We're preparing to get go into a new building. Uh-huh. And the whole IT staff re-outfitted the, the whole space, right? And it was all hands on deck and they hunkered down. I mean, racking, um, you know, monitors, cabling, soup to nuts. Yeah. And you, didn't hear, you, you just didn't hear a complaint. Everybody was happy to be there, working together. And like the best part of it was when, you know, the director took pictures of it and posted it in Slack and said, I'm really, I'm extremely proud of the team that we have in place today. Nothing makes you feel better about coming to work, knowing that you have a team that is just willing to, to support one another, no matter, no matter what the, what the job is. And you look and somebody recognizes what you do, however big or small it is. And it's impactful to the company. It's impactful to other people. That's, being part of the bigger story, having an impact, understanding it, seeing it. You know, a lot of people toil away and they don't actually see the result of what their toil delivers. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you can relate to this. There have been, there have been people that I have placed over the years and jobs sometimes that were difficult to define. I, I picked up this one role. I won't forget it. It had been open for a year, I think, or close to a year. And other firms had tried and and the internal people had tried. It hadn't worked out. And it was one of these cool roles. It was actually a fusion role. That's what I call these. And I'm I'm working on some today that are fusing data science, but with some specific technical uh, expertise, like maybe power grids or maybe chemistry or, or meteorology or whatever it might be. Well, this one was fusing a CPA reporting specialist who also happened to be a super user in SAP to bridge the gap between the finance organization 
and the IT organization, the people who managed SAP, because they weren't talking the same language, they didn't have the same priorities. I remember when I placed her there, she ended up staying with that company for 10 years and ended up going around the world, maybe several times, taking what she had developed in that role and promoting it and evangelizing it, embedding it in the company for all their other regions around the globe. I mean, just had a phenomenal run. And I tell you, when you sit- What was that company? Do you mind sharing? That company was BHP, uh, Billiton. Oh, okay. Yeah, big, big natural resource company out of Australia. I've really enjoyed over the years looking back and, and seeing someone who's really flourished in their career, who maybe stepped out of what more traditional roles would look like. Okay. Uh, I'm a, a programmer, so that's what I'm going to do. And at some point, I'm going to get to a point and I'm going to architect systems and I'm going to do this. And I have this progression to go through. Man, take a risk once in a while. Step out of it a little bit. Fuse some other skill set to what you're doing and live. You know, embrace it and have a great time. Whenever I look back and I see someone I've, I've, I've helped out of place them, obviously help the company they landed in or they wouldn't spend a decade there or more. And you see the progression and the tenure and the excitement. And every time you talk to them or connect, it's I ran into the, that one candidate place one time, uh, her and her husband at a restaurant. And before I could even, you know, when you see haven't seen someone in a while, you see a face and your brain kind of needs to catch up with the recognition and the the name, by the time I'm saying her name, she's just giving me a hug and introducing me to her husband and saying, this is the person who helped make all this happen. And it's the greatest feeling. I can't help but think when you sit in your chair like that, where you're sitting and you've got this team, you're actually, you've got your hand, your hands in the, in the, in the pot, so to speak, mixing up, giving these opportunities, you know, directing people on how to develop and partnering with them in a way that I think 80, 90% of people want people to partner with them. You know, they don't want a boss or a boss two or three layers removed who's a, a dictator, but rather, or a, a driver or pusher. They want that person who's going to get in there and say, okay, we got to pull the wagon here. Let's do it together. Rather than the one who sits off to the side and goes, you're doing a great job. Golf clap. Oh, yeah. Everybody pull it together a little bit tighter. What? Excuse me. I need to get another cup of coffee. But you guys keep pulling. You know, I think that's something. I think it's something admirable. And I think a lot of people gravitate to it, frankly. I have a perfect example of that here. When I assumed um, the role of overseeing the enterprise applications department over a year ago, you know, I sat down with the director and I said to her, you know, let's let's take a look at how the organization is structured mm -hmm. the team had gone through a, a pretty major transformation of a particular application over a couple of years and it had just launched and so i sat down and i said you're close to this why don't why don't you write down like what you what you know what your what you think your team's skill sets are who you think would be wanting to you know accelerate into more of a manager role or an architect role mm -hmm. and and let's let's draw it out draw it out you do it and let's be thought partners together on it and what we came out with together was really pretty great reorg like we have a scalable model in place for full-time employees and contractors she did the majority of the work right i was there as a thought partner 
to guide her, to answer her questions, to ask thought-provoking questions mm -hmm. back to her to say, hey, you know, long-term strategy, have you thought about it this way? What will this impact be right. to the team short-term? What impact will this be um, to the product, right? And, and what we're supporting. How are people gonna feel about a transition like this? Do you think that these these people will be able to collaborate and work together? There were many different components that we had to that we had to consider there. But yeah, I I love what you just said. I mean, it it does have to be a thought a thought partnership. At the end of the day, as you get uh, you know up and up and up, you're farther and farther from the day to day, right? right? And so you have to rely on people that are boots on the ground that really understand like the systems and the processes. And they're living it day in and day out and collect that feedback to make an informed decision. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's tough. It, and it, it's because if you get the wrong person in the right mix, it, you, you know, you're going to get sand in the gears, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's got to buy into it. And that's why I think being part of that bigger story is, is so important, you know, because people got to want to be there. And look, people go through seasons of change in our lives, right? Where a job is a job is a job. I need a paycheck sort of thing. Man, those people who go in and they always have the resilience and the focus, the frame of mind to be thinking forward and that they want to find ways to do more than earn a paycheck. That's special when you can surround yourself with people like that. By the way, I want to, you keep mentioning aptitude, attitude, and effort. I have told my kids and I don't know how many other people that, you know, aptitude, it kind of is what it is, right? Whether we want to think of it as IQ or education or whatever, but whatever we might find our, ourselves doing, we're good at it or not. I've known people who were absolutely murdered to play Scrabble with or Yahtzee or some game, word game <laughs> like that, you know, and uh, dr would drive me nuts, you know. But if you ask them to do, you know, a math problem, solve an equation, for example, something simple, you get this blank stare. And I see there are letters and numbers involved, but I don't know what you're asking of me, right? So everybody has different aptitudes, but I stress, I've stressed this to my kids. I, I've stressed this to people earlier in their careers and even later in their career too. You take whatever that aptitude is and you can multiply it by the addition of your effort and attitude. You know, put those there parenthetically, add them together, multiply it times your aptitude, and that gives you your results over time you know, how functional you are, how impactful you are. I agree with you wholeheartedly that, and I think we're we're entering into this time period where there'll be a lot of people moving from career paths they've been on to something different. Now, I don't know exactly what that different is. A lot of that's going to be as a result of, of AI hitting the marketplace, of some jobs not being as necessary, for example, uh, there are companies already cutting their developers and their coders, their programming types, because you can have AI write most of your code. And then you go in, and the way I heard it put is we're going from this creator economy to this editor economy, right? So instead of needing 100 people to do this, now I need 15 or 20. Because I can tell AI to do it, it goes and spits stuff out, and I just have to make sure it's all correct. I really think they're going to be amazing opportunities generated for people who may have more non-traditional backgrounds or who may go from 
a job that was X, whatever X is, to now I'm going to transition to something that's more of Y or Z or whatever it might look like here in the near term. And I think the scary part of it is, is not that it's happening, not that it's going on. The scary part of it is, is it's going to happen in this very compressed time frame. As companies, as CEOs, CIOs, CTOs, and such figure out that, wow, the applications of AI aren't just searching a database, aren't just generating marketing campaigns, aren't just you know scheduling appointments, but it can get into every nook and cranny of an enterprise and allow your people to be more of what they are rather than getting stuck with the tedium of doing all those things that are mostly considered tedious. Yeah, that's the way I like to put it. Yeah, I think we saw that too when I'll translate it back to my quality days, mm -hmm. right? When you had manual tests where somebody would type in and execute that that exact test to see what the output was. And then lo and behold, automation came around. And a lot of people said, "Oh, wait a minute. I I'm used to coming in and, mm -hmm. and doing my test and executing that and, and going home. And I think to your point earlier, it's all about understanding the opportunity and embracing the opportunity. It's not about, you know, oh, my job is going to be eliminated. It's about taking that opportunity and, and running with it, right. right? And I saw that in terms of automation. I think that there's going to be tremendous opportunity that's presented as part of, of AI and future. Look, we, we have a, a hybrid and electric cars now. That's, that's changed, right? Our society as well. And so it's just, it's embracing that. It's taking those opportunities. It's moving it forward. I think uh, to your point earlier around somebody that, you know, was great at Scrabble, but then couldn't solve a, a math problem, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you sometimes you'll have these really highly intelligent kids that in high school, they don't have to try. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're, they just get straight A's and then they go to college and and they fail. Right. Or they don't do well because they've never been pressure tested. They've never really had to apply themselves. They've never had to, you know, have that grit or that like kind of that attitude to try to get it done. Mm -hmm. Right. Perseverance. And I think there's there's something to be said something to be said for that, right? It's it's not something you're just kind of born with. I think it's something that you learn along the way. Oh, most everything, including our biases, are things that we've learned, and they may be things that we did not intend to learn. But if you think about the volume of learning that occurs from the time a child is conceived all the way forward into adulthood, the volume of learning is not only intense, it's, it's, it's the volume itself is massive, you know, and we don't necessarily think about it. So if we want to, you know, pick some simple task like brushing your teeth, right? It's not a overly complex thing after you've done it a few dozen or a few hundred or a few thousand times, because we can do it automatically and not even think about it and know that we got every bit of surface area because we've all been to the dentist and they said, hey, did you forget to brush the inside of your teeth and not just the outside? Kids are learning that and how they learn it, you know, like about what foods they like and don't like 
that evolves and it changes, but they'll pick up biases they don't intend to pick up. Funny that you should say that. Um, you just brought back a memory for me. So I'll never forget back in the day, you know, you swipe and, and the phone opens up and you have the passcode and everything. Mm-hmm. My two-year-old, or he was two and a half maybe at the time, was on the couch with me. Okay. We were watching, I don't know, some kind of some kind of show, some kind of cartoon. And he picked up my phone off of the coffee table and put the password and swipe. (laughs) And I was, whoa, how did... Slow your roll there, little man. (laughs) Right? Well, it was through observation, right? Because he saw me do it over and over and over and over again, right? And to your point, so it it was learned behavior. It was an observation, and then he just saw it and was able to do it amazing and that's really what we're dealing with with ai is every bit of behavior you see from an ai model is something that's been learned and at at, at a basic sense yeah you learn along these adaptive algorithms that you know they're going to predict what an answer should be or will be but only based on what we fed it only based on the lessons we've learned we've we've wanted it to learn and so that's it's going to be interesting i think try to make a machine a program that can rival the complexity of the human brain slash persona mm, emotional the emotional side of it uh and the innovative side being able to connect things that are completely disconnected in the, in the world yet for some reason we look at them and go wow peanut butter and chocolate belong together i don't know who came up with that or my favorite all time there's this little manufacturing company in texas candy manufacturer and it makes this candy called chico stick and it's this stick and it's peanut butter and toasted coconut and wow that sounds oh it's so good and you can break it into like little little you know nubbins or whatever and just put it in your mouth and let it melt and you've got this constant like high from one of the greatest flavor combinations who thought to put that together who thought coconut Go to the Caribbean, you know, go to some tropical place to get coconut. It makes it with peanut butter. I don't know. That's just, it's like, again, peanut butter and chocolate. Or go through whatever list of combinations. Who would have thunk to put this? Who came up with the idea of putting squid ink and pasta? Sometimes it's not even an idea, John. Sometimes it's just a happy accident, right? Like, look at Benjamin Franklin, right? Flying the kite and the key and the, you know... Uh, the light happy accident was not needing a defibrillator or when <laughs> at that moment in time <laughs> that was the happy accident um, well tell me something Kelly when you look out over the landscape of your career I would think I, if I were in your shoes I would see where you are today and from where you started post-grad as a great journey and something to be very proud of and very identifying. By the way, you know, you mentioned earlier, hey, dude, you said it's a Hungarian name, if I heard it right. I never, that never, ever crossed my mind. I've known several people who are from Hungary in, in, in my life who are really great folks and, and had some great conversations through accents and everything. But when I heard, hey, dude, I got a, a confession. The first thing that came through my mind was the shoe company, hey, dude. Because there's, we have many pairs of those shoes in my house. Yeah, I've got. You know, I got a teenager over here who's got three or four pairs, yeah. and all of his buddies wear them. And I'm just like, what in the world? And then when we met, I'm like, hey, dude, hey, dude, 
My husband wears them too. <laughs> They're so comfortable. <laughs> but when you look out over all of this, you know, what, what are you looking forward to? I mean, what really gets you revved up? Next step career-wise, uh, a passion project, giving back. I mean, where do you, where do you find that additional satisfaction that a, and a sense of accomplishment that a paycheck, for example, can't deliver? You know, John, I just I just came back from a couple of different events in the past couple of weeks, and I I came back and my you know my friends and my family were oh you must be so tired and you know from all the traveling mm -hmm. and this and that and like no my cup is full my cup is full in such a great way, and it's because I was able to sit down and listen to pitches from cyber startup CEOs and be able to provide that feedback and build relationships with people mm -hmm. and really start to kind of uh, concentrate on, to your point, what is, is next for me, really? I've been looking and exploring at advisory cap um, positions long-term. You know, I would love to be able to participate in a board of directors, especially with the new SEC reg that was just passed, right? Mm -hmm. Cyber presence in the boardroom is going to be required for public companies. It's going to be really important. So I think I'll be able to uh, give back kind of in, in that way, less on the implementer side of things mm -hmm. and more on the guidance and asking questions side. Hey, have you thought about this? Back to what I originally had mm -hmm. said with the person that's on my team, really being that thought partner I like the strategy aspect of it as well. But I, I think it, at the end of the day, I really, really enjoy being able to give that guidance, being able to give give back, mm -hmm. um, especially to, you know, to people on my team and people that I mentor outside of the organization as well as inside of the organization. But I think long term, I'd like to explore that advisor and, and board of directors, those roles a little bit more deeply. But you know what? Like you said before, it's a journey. And so I very well could explore those opportunities and say, you know what? I've decided I'm going to take a different path and maybe I want to write a book or do something right. else. So I, I try to keep an open mind because at the end of the day, when you said earlier about risk, it is about taking risks and trying new things. And so many people questioned, why are you leaving quality? Why are you going to security? Like, that's such a risk, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, what's the worst, what's the worst gonna happen? I don't like it. I know, that I'm, <laughs> I know that I'm good at this stuff over here. Like, I can always go back to it. Yeah. And thankfully I have a really supportive, um, you know, friend group and my husband is absolutely amazing and he's very supportive as well as my kids. So it's helped me along the way to take some of those risks and chances, but um, what do you have to lose? If you keep doing the same thing, you expect the same results. Yeah. And sometimes you got to shake it up a little bit. You know, we, uh, my kids and I, I know like the boys, we, we all enjoy fishing. So I, I try to take them out fishing as much as we can. And it was interesting with, you know, my wife and I, it's, it's our, our, both of our second marriages, both our spouses passed away due to cancer. And we bring three kids each together for six total. All right. So, now, instead of having one boy, I have three boys who have this driving desire to be entertained and they all like fishing. So we go fishing and then me and my biological son, we do things one way. Then these the two stepsons are doing things a little bit differently. And now it's like everybody's kind of on the same page. We're rocking along and we have 
a lot of fun and you know they're used to fishing for trout out west and in nevada and 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 some of the mountain streams up in the mountains i'm used to going down to the coast where everything has teeth you know and it'll bite you uh (laughs) or spines that you know they'll skewer you and you'll end up in an er you know and they're they're kind of vicious and mean and tough and powerful and and so we get to bounce back and forth and and do some things different you know take some risk add some value to yourself because when you add value to yourself you're adding value to the people around you and organization you're a part of and i think everything you just spoke about helping people out providing a level of mentorship direction and guidance you know that's that's all about my opinion giving back and adding value and the best value you ever add by the way in your career my opinion take it for what it's worth is the value that no one can pay you back directly for. I have a CEO that has been a mentor of mine. Gosh, it must be going on seven years now. Mm-hmm. She's seen me along the way. She's seen me in good times. She's seen me in, in hard times. And there is no price tag that you can put on Mm-mm. not at all on that on that relationship. And I will forever be grateful for her for doing that for me. Yeah. And so I think like I, I have somebody that's, you know, checked in, even if she hasn't heard from me in like a few weeks and just knowing somebody is, is there and they care. Right. And it just like I said, it's meant so much to me. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mary, if you're listening to this. <laughs> um, we have to make sure Mary gets the link when we when we drop the episode. Yeah. <laughs> so she's she's done so much for me and it's made me really want to do the same for others. Yeah, that's that's what it's all about. That's the amazing part of the human journey, I think, and a journey of a professional or an executive like yourself. You know, it's not about where we start and it's not always even about where we end up. It's about the impact we have along the way. You know, the footprints we leave behind, right? And that's uh, that's the cool thing. Man, we're really talking some serious philosophy here, Kelly. I don't know. I mean, uh, there's a lot of things that are very pertinent we could talk about. I but pulled out the psychology. Yeah, yeah, we're we're going we're going deep here. When you start thinking, of course, as we're talking, I'll just look over the, the my monitor here and I'll say, hmm, there's got to be a quote in one of these books up here, you know, that I could like drop out that'll make me sound really really smart. No, no, we sound smart enough. We sound like a couple of people who bounced around a little bit, you know, in life and had experiences that have maybe refined our perspective on what's important and uh yeah. and that's what that's what should happen that's natural i think it should happen for everyone but i do think you know with a a pretty clear eye on the on the subject you know i think uh from our conversations and from and from this one and you know really it, it it resonates you've you've come a tremendous along a tremendous journey a tremendous pathway and you're bringing people with you that's an admirable thing. That's an amazing thing. And and I, I hope, I know you're proud. And I hope Mary, when she listens, she's proud. Mary tells me she's yeah, proud all the well, time. <laughs> and if she's not too busy, she might be someone to add to my guest list here for the podcast. You never know. <laughs> but She's an amazing person. <laughs> but thank you. You're very kind for saying no, that, John. I, I, love, I love talking to interesting people and people who actually do things and care about the fact they're doing things, you know? And I, I'm, I'm blessed in the, that too. I get to talk with some incredibly bright people. You know, they're, they're smart and they're street smart and book smart and all this other stuff. 
But you know, you ever find those people, you look at them like, wow, this person's like next plane, next level, you know? Mm -hmm. And to me, it's fascinating. It's not intimidating. It's fascinating from the perspective of somebody's got a completely different take on something. And they may be looking at it in a way that to me is totally novel. And it's not to say, you know, my peer group out there don't have different perspectives, but I always find it fascinating to be in a position. One of the reasons I really enjoy the podcast is to ask people, why, why do you think this? Why does that make sense? Mm. You know, and, and how, you know, what's the, what's the secret sauce? It's like, I I had a guest on really just, I I don't know. he, He might be a genius, a genius level. I mean, he's, he's what I would probably term some sort of a polymath. You know, he's just good at everything he does. It doesn't matter what it is, just excels. But we we're talking and he said his best hire he ever made had nothing to do with the business he was in. Other than, other than this astrophysicist he hired was really, really good. She was excellent at solving inverse problems. And the technology he was dealing with had a lot of inverse mathematical problems that needed solving and said, absolute best hire he ever made. And, you know, talk about outside of the box thinking. Who would have thought? I wouldn't have thought. I need to go hire. I need to go out today and hire an astrophysicist. I think you'd make a heck of a headhunter. I mean, that never would have crossed my mind. But he came up with, (laughs) yeah, just put those two things together and boom, had a fantastic hire. So, um, I enjoy talking with with people like that, and I feel like I've I've, I've run into a little bit of a, a kindred soul in that respect today, Kelly. And I really appreciate the time you've taken and on the insights you've shared. And I'm excited to stay in touch and see what's next when what's next becomes what's now. Well, I really want to thank you, John, for the opportunity today. And you know, we've had numerous conversations now and, and every time we have a conversation, it is enlightening to me and, and just easy. And I, I appreciate your time and I appreciate the offer to be on the podcast. Oh no. Welcome. It's been my privilege. And, um, thank you very much, Kelly. Hey, dude, not, Hey dude, not anything to do with the shoe company, but if you did, could I get a discount? Um, but from car gurus and, um, what an amazing story to get where you are today. Thanks so much for sharing it with us. And you and I, I hope, will be talking again in the near future. You've been listening to Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool. This podcast is sponsored by Sabretooth. Sabretooth improves the quality of hire and speeds up the time to fill specialized machine learning, data engineering, data science, and developer roles, stretching tech recruiting budgets further by bringing the precision of retained search and the speed of contingent search to the market in one complete solution. Find out more at sbr2th.com and follow me, John Light, on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.